most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, April 18th, 2022, the 453rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. To start the week off, to start the show off, I have to extend my thanks to the great American company, MyPillow.com, and the great American leading that company, Mike Lindell for being a partner of this very show. If you feel like you need some more comfortable stuff at your house, order some pillows, order some Giza sheets, order a mattress pad. I have all those things. They're all lovely. You can get up to 66% off all sorts of different items on MyPillow.com by using the promo code reasonable. So go ahead and do that. Support me. Support Lindell, support a great American company. Promo code reasonable at MyPillow.com. All right. So this weekend, I released part seven of my Who is at Q series. It is called A Story of Reality. It is long. That's how it is. Can't help you with that. You don't like reading long things? Well, maybe you're not prepared to learn about difficult subjects. What can I say? Hopefully you will enjoy it enough to just keep reading. And by the end, hopefully you will have enjoyed it enough to share it with some other people or support me via Substack or Ko-Fi or somewhere else. But what I care about more than anything else is that you'll share the work on Substack and you'll share the podcast and whatever money comes in to support my ability to continue doing this is always helpful, but not required. You're not obligated. It's out there for free, occasionally with a paywall that will eventually come down. But I do this because I think the work's important and I want to, in my own way, make a difference and help get this country back on track. That's why I say the things I say. That's why I write the things I write. The financial support helps me continue to do that because as most of you know, I spend 10 to 15 hours a day on this stuff. And I have done that for two years now. And it's kind of a lot. So if you are not already aware, on Friday night, I was a guest on my friend CanCon's live stream. That is available on his channel on Rumble. We did three hours. And also joining the show was uh, Brian's friend, Quentin, 
who goes by out of the darkness and he ha- he does a live stream and has a show uh, real thoughtful interesting guy and I really enjoyed meeting him on CanCon's live stream you can check all that out on Rumble tomorrow I am going to be on Sean Morgan's show so I'm looking forward to that and I think that's about all the extra stuff I have for you check out the CanCon thing though it was good I always like being able to talk about subjects that I don't address on the show, but I've thought about for a long time and on other people's shows is where I often find the opportunity to do that. So one of the things that we discussed was our differing views on the Shanghai lockdown narrative. That is how I am referring to the evolving situation in Shanghai vis-a-vis their new coronavirus regime their full-on lockdown and hazmat suits and all of this that we are seeing in videos. And on CanCon show, we discussed a TikTok that was put out by someone who pretty clearly to me seems to be some kind of American influencer in China. It was very propaganda-oriented, everything targeted directly at woke millennials who are somehow still afraid of COVID and believe the whole COVID narrative. But my take on all of the Shanghai narrative lockdown stuff, as I have said on this podcast before, is that while the reality may be represented in some way on those videos, the reason we're being shown those videos is to present an entirely false narrative. The reason our media is going after that narrative after a few years and truthfully a few decades of defending the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese regime at all costs, that is also to perpetuate a false narrative to a Western audience. So when we see stuff like that that's happening, stuff that's so far outside the bounds of what is normal or advisable or sensible as a response to COVID, We have to take a step back and think about whether or not there is any truth whatsoever in the thing we're being shown. There may or may not be truth in what we're being shown. They may well be locking up their own citizens. They may well be torturing and killing animals. I'm not denying that this stuff is happening. I want to be very, very clear about that. What I'm saying is the narrative being presented to us is false. Now, there was a good piece that came out on Zero Hedge last night that backs up that theory. And it's always nice not to be the one who is standing at the end of the pier alone, although I'm happy to do it. I've done it many times. And I'll probably do it many more times as their false flag events get more and more obvious. You should consider that anything you see From a mainstream outlet, anything that is approved of on legacy social media, anything you are told by the television, anything you are told by the global communist aligned media outlets like New York Times and Washington Post and the Atlantic and the Daily Beast and on and on and on. And to a degree, Fox News as well. Anything they are showing you should be seen as having some element of a false flag. Always, every single time. It is very unlikely that that standard will be wrong, but if it is, it'll be an exception that proves the rule. The only time 
the news gives you real information is in service of a false narrative. Sometimes they will give you false information in service of a false narrative. Sometimes they will give you real information in service of a false narrative. What they will not do is give you real information in service of a real narrative. They do not give you narrative. The entire point of the news is to give you the information that you are allowed to have and then the context in which you should take that information. They are going to give you the meaning of all stories. And in giving you the meaning, they take away your ability to make sound moral judgments and to draw meaning out of the information in your world for yourself. You cannot be a moral agent making moral decisions if you are unable to draw meaning for yourself out of the events and information around you. You can only follow orders at that point. You can only follow what sounds right to you or what allows you to seek advantage in a situation. And it turns out that's exactly the moral standard that we see at play in our public culture every day. Morality begins and ends at how things you do will look to those you want to impress. That is the party of false decorum on full display. The goal of the news is to control the flow of information, limit the possible interpretations of that information and the set of possible meanings the information and interpretations can take on. And when that's complete, there is no more individual morality. There is only what the group demands. And what the group demands is dictated from people better than you, right? The experts, the politicians, the celebrities, all those people that have the big important lives while you, small creature, just try to make your way in the world. You will find out eventually your decisions have been made for you by people better than you. And if you defy their commands, they will harm you. So assuming that everything is a false flag is not going to be right 100% of the time, but it's a real good place to start. Starting by accepting the news as real information or real meaning is a mistake every time. So let's go to Zero Hedge. Something is rotten in the state of Shanghai's latest COVID lockdowns. Make no doubt about it. There's something seriously disturbing about the state of the recent COVID lockdowns taking place in Shanghai, even for China. Here's what the outbreak looks like if we are to believe the numbers coming out of China. You'll have to excuse me for being frank, but I simply don't believe them. China has lied about nearly everything since the beginning of the pandemic, and they certainly don't have the rest of the world's best interest in mind now that they are allying with Russia economically. And take that all at face value. That's just fine. I would say that no country actually has to worry about the rest of the world. That's not their responsibility. It is actually our responsibility not to trust other countries of the world, especially if they're adversarial. But hey, I'm a conspiracy theorist. 
Anthony Fauci and China probably have a highly functional, mutually beneficial relationship that is all about securing the lives and health of the citizens of China and America. And if you doubt that, what are you like domestic terrorist? It's also worth noting that as unbelievable as China's numbers are, America's numbers are equally unbelievable. All of this is premised on tests that simply do not work. The entire COVID narrative is built on tests that don't work and tests given to healthy people. Both of those are crazy. But even beyond that, we then make everything else about cases, COVID cases. Oh, no, more cases. Cases have not been the proper metric to guide the response to this or any pandemic ever. The infection fatality rate of the coronavirus throughout the entire time is 0.1. That is on par with a normal flu. One out of every 1,000 people who get it might die. All of those people, older, obese, multiple comorbidities. And that's if you assume that they actually had coronavirus in the first place. I posted yesterday, I made a little meme of myself, one of those uh, Stephen Crowder changed my mind where he's sitting at the table. You know that meme. And I said, every COVID death is either medical malpractice or data malpractice or both. And that is true. But at its worst, assuming the central narrative is at least somewhat true regarding COVID, still one out of a thousand, that's the infection fatality rate. That is not a dangerous pandemic illness that we need to lock people in their homes for. It's not something we need to vaccinate for. It's not something we need to close businesses for. It's not even something we need to mask for because masks also don't work. Back to zero hedge. Rather, I believe the numbers are likely being exaggerated one way or the other, just as I believe China does with their macroeconomic data in order to meet the needs of whatever agenda the CCP is trying to push. Here we are two years into COVID with ample time behind us to have studied the virus, develop vaccines, boosters and therapeutics and allow for natural immunity to spread. And China is locking down the city of 26.3 million people at the first sign of a couple cases of COVID. The actions China has taken to implement this round of lockdowns have been dystopian and Orwellian, to say the least, if they're true. For example, according to The New York Times, all international flights to and from Shanghai have been halted. OK, so we are meant to believe that they are making sure that no one will bring covid from Shanghai onto the airplane and then off of the airplane into an entirely new destination where they will take their COVID, spread it to everyone, and then a worldwide pandemic starts. That's how it happens, right? At least in the movies and on the news. Many roads to the city's two airports have also been closed. Welp, all right. How does that stop COVID? No one knows. The government performed PCR tests on 25.67 million people. Well, do the tests work? Still no? Okay. Congratulations on your forced testing regime. Those numbers must make Anthony Fauci's micro penis tingle. The government has not allowed residents to go to grocery stores. 
Sure thing. The government has put together tens of thousands of cots in two convention centers as quarantine centers, but they don't have showering facilities. Okay. China is also once again sealing people in their homes. Videos on social media show trapped residents howling and screaming from inside high-rise buildings at night, the Independent wrote this week. And you can't fake those. And again, hey, are people locked in their homes? Maybe. Would that be horrifying? Yeah. Could they be screaming? Sure. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it's pretty convenient that it's happening right now and that the media is so happy to spread this information around the world. According to social media posts, the city is even using drones to try and calm the nerves of angry residents. <laughs> yeah, that is what drones do for me. When I can't fall asleep last night, I walk to a clearing where I can see the sky in its fullness and I just wait until I can see some drones and settle down. <laughs> a swarm of drones is what allows me to know that someone who really cares about me is watching and everything's going to be okay. Please comply with COVID restrictions. Control your soul's desire for freedom. Do not open the window or sing. This drone is reported to be saying. And a drone telling me to control my soul's desire for freedom is what puts me to sleep soundly every night. There are innumerable disturbing things about the dystopian way this alleged outbreak is being handled, but none more pressing is the question of why it is being handled the way it is. It felt like heading into the spring, the world was over the idea of COVID. Mask mandates and vaccine mandates were being lifted. Businesses were starting to recover and we were heading into the warmth of summer with the attitude that we now knew the risks of COVID and that it was time for every person to take care of themselves. So why such a drastic overreaction by China? Why continue the country's completely irrational and inane COVID zero policy at this point? It simply doesn't make any sense, even for China. In fact, the country's extremely dramatic and overzealous response feels so abnormal that it made me wonder yesterday whether China was simply using it as a tool for a state-sponsored power grab that it had long planned. I also wondered if the drastic measures, similar to the measures we saw at the beginning of COVID from China, were a sign that the country knows something about the virus that the rest of the world still doesn't. Certainly, nobody thinking reasonably believes such a drastic reaction to this virus, which has already wreaked its first round of global havoc, but has settled down and become a way of life in places like Florida and the Nordic states, where they've allowed herd immunity to run rampant, is warranted. Yesterday on Twitter, there were only two alternate explanations I could conceive of for China's actions. And the two responses he's referring to are the Orwellian rules the government had planned that it's trying to implement or that they know something about the virus we don't. But a third wild idea popped into my head yesterday afternoon that I also wanted to bring up. What if China is purposefully shutting down its country to wreak havoc on the global supply chain even further and to exert its power over the quality of lives of the Western world? I've talked about why I think China and Russia are going to be breaking off of the current monetary system and essentially starting a new economy. 
I've written about how backing the ruble and potentially backing the digital yuan with gold could be one way for these countries to exert their influence and stand alone on a global stage economically. I've also warned about the pitfalls of the United States not having enough productive capacity and relying on importing from China too much. Don't think China doesn't understand the dynamics of this relationship either. What if China wants to not only exert its influence by backing its currency, but also by keeping its production means on a tighter leash, more for the benefit of its own people and less for the benefits of Americans exporting dollars? How would China show the rest of the world in a passive, non-confrontational way exactly just how much power they have over our quality of life? At this point, it appears that China isn't reserving its productive capacity for its own citizens. After all, reports of food shortages and riots breaking out in Shanghai have been ubiquitous. But there's a non-zero chance that this may be propaganda or collateral damage that the country has to let happen in order to make the rest of the world think that its people are suffering alongside of them when they cauterize supply chains for products headed elsewhere in the world. And if you immediately write off such game theory as conspiratorial and harebrained, you may be right, but you're also likely underestimating the Chinese Communist Party. No matter what the explanation, China is overshooting the mark with its latest round of COVID lockdowns, even for COVID zero standards. Videos leaking out on social media appear worse and more dire than the ones during the original lockdowns of 2020. Is it really going to be the long-term ongoing policy of the CCP to try and keep zero COVID cases in a country with 1.4 billion people? Even for an unreasonable unilateral dictatorship, that's a bit much. If I had to bet it all today on why China is locking down the way it is, I would take one of these three scenarios over actual implementation of the world's most irrational health policy. One, the CCP is simply trying to usurp more power. Two, there's something about COVID that China knows that the rest of the world still doesn't know. Or three, China is looking for an excuse to slow production to put pressure on the Western world at a time when it is trying to separate further economically from the West. Either way, the more I see out of the country with each passing day, the more it becomes clear to me that something is rotten in the state of Shanghai's latest COVID lockdowns. Now, I always find the input from Zero Hedge valuable, even when I don't agree. And I think this piece is valuable, but I think it misses a fourth option, which is the one I communicated the first time I discussed the Shanghai lockdowns and the one I communicated on CanCon's show the other night. And that's this. This Shanghai lockdown narrative, as I'm referring to it, serves multiple purposes in the Western media, especially. And that is to convince us that COVID is still a very real and very dangerous thing. We see these videos and we don't think, oh, wow, the CCP is really evil. I mean, if we're normies, people who watch our mainstream media and get their information from the lunatic communists of the Atlantic or the Daily Beast or the New York Times or MSNBC, their first thought is, Look what happens if we take COVID too casually. If we allow everybody to go back to normal life, something like those China lockdowns will happen and we can't allow that. Everyone needs to mask up. Everyone needs to lock down. Everyone needs to get vaccinated. That's how we will avoid this terrible scenario that they have in China. Now, all of those responses are ridiculous. Lockdowns don't work. Masks don't work. 
And the vaccines not only don't work, they actively harm everybody. And the truth is, that's true of masks and lockdowns, too. And I'm sorry, I didn't immediately mention that. So unless, unless China has discovered either a new disease or a very, very deadly new version of COVID, a new very scary variant, what they are doing makes absolutely no sense from a medical or scientific perspective. They are are not stopping the spread of COVID and COVID can't kill you unless you fit very particular demographics. And even in those cases, it is almost definitely medical malpractice or data malpractice behind each and every one of even those COVID deaths. Okay, an infection fatality rate, by the way, is the standard to use, not case fatality rate, because there are far more cases, meaning actual infections, than there are reported cases, meaning a confirmed test. And even among the confirmed tests are some people labeled in clinics as likely COVID. So they don't even have a test. They're just like, yeah, we're sure that's COVID. It's not the flu. It's not a cold. Got to be COVID. And then we know from the false test, people will be given remdesivir, which will further destroy them. And then they will be put on a ventilator where they will almost definitely die. That, my friends, is only medical malpractice. When someone dies of a heart attack within 60 days of having a positive test for COVID and COVID is listed on the death certificate, making that heart attack death count as a COVID death. Well, then that's data malpractice. And until they begin to seriously record vaccine deaths, all of this data should just be disregarded almost in full. But it's clear regardless that China's response doesn't make sense. Okay, there is no medical or scientific justification for what they are doing. Every single one of the policies that these videos show they are following have proven not to work. That has to matter if your purpose is saving people's lives. Since none of that matters, you can pretty well conclude that the purpose is not saving people's lives. So if the purpose is not saving people's lives, what is it? Why are we being shown all of this? So, as I said, one of the reasons is to convince the Western world that there is a COVID danger so they can reinstitute mask policies, lockdown policies and vaccine mandates. But the other possibility is that this is an active PR war against Xi Jinping and China broadly, but they're not going to go directly after the CCP, and they're not going to make any distinctions about parties and differences among Chinese government factions or factions of the Chinese people. We are just supposed to take all of it as a monolith. And it's really easy to do that when it is continually presented as a monolith. All of China is the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party makes these rules for all of China. We're seeing this thing in Shanghai. We should assume that this is what is going to happen throughout all of China. But consider the way the world actually works, right? 
Our Western media is telling us something about China, just in the same way they would tell us something about the European Union or about Canada or about the United States, for that matter. We kind of get this strange impression that we're the only country in the world that has states and regions that do different things. Texas and Georgia and South Dakota had markedly different COVID responses than California and New York and Pennsylvania and the state of Washington. South Dakota didn't lock down at all. The blue states still have restrictions all over the place. Texas got rid of any mask mandates in February or March of 2021. And states like California still have that stuff going. We still have to wear masks on planes, they say. So if media outlets in Europe, for instance, or in China, who were reporting about COVID in the United States, they may well choose one of those options over the other. Do they show the states that have very strict COVID measures or do they show the states that barely had or have any COVID restrictions. And that choice actually does matter because they are projecting an image of what the United States collectively is doing to the rest of the world. But we can look at the EU. We know different countries within the EU have different COVID policies, even if they're following the same underlying policies in some sense. We know there were countries that pursued the segregation of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. They pursued policies of refusing to allow the vaccinated to participate in society or go to stores or travel. But it wasn't all of them. Same thing in the United States. Why can't it be the same thing in China? And that's when you begin to think about the good twin versus evil twin perspective. The evil twin, of course, being those pursuing the global communist one world order. And those factions in the countries around the world that are in line with that. And then the good twin in every country being the faction that is concerned with nationalism and national sovereignty. They want what's best and populism, I should say. They want what's best for their own nation and their own people. And those factions can exist even in China. In fact, we know they do. And the existence of that is actually a key part of Steve Bannon's war room pandemic programming. And so rather than saying China is doing X or China is doing Y, it's better to find out who's really behind these policies and how are we being told we should see each party. And so that's how I think about every country in the world and every situation that we have around the world. That's the way I look at, for instance, uh, Elon Musk and what his priorities might be. Well, what are his stated priorities? Who are the people he's in line with? Which groups seem to be serving the global one world order and which groups seem to be serving nationalism and sovereignty and populism? If Elon Musk is actually trying to create a free speech platform and open public square, well, then that's great. But if this is just a ploy to make it look like he's doing that so that 
more power can be seized for the global communist one world order. Well, that's really, really bad. And that distinction is going to matter. It's not just do you trust Elon? Are you a fan of Elon? Are you a fan of free speech? Yeah, those are important questions to answer, but that's not going to get us to the final truth of what's happening. We have to look at it in relation to how what's happening serves that ultimate end. Does it bring us closer to the total takeover of the one world global communist order? Or does it move us closer to sovereignty and nationalism and populism? So I'm checking real clear politics yesterday, as I often do, and they always curate a list of relatively important headlines of the day. And I always glance at the headlines and click through to a few and try to figure out what self-imagined centrist intellectuals are reading and thinking and saying. And one of the links yesterday was to an article by the historian Niall Ferguson. And he should not be confused with the epidemiologist Neil Ferguson, who was responsible for the awful coronavirus modeling that helped push the world into lockdown. This is Niall Ferguson. He's actually married to Ayan Hirsi Ali, and I've enjoyed both of their work at various times in my life, but now they seem to me like fairly elitist globalists, especially Ferguson. And so he puts out this piece with the headline, China's zero COVID has become Xi's nemesis. Here's the subheadline. Beijing oversold its surveillance-based system of disease control and underestimated the shape-shifting virus. The result is an economic mess, though probably not a political crisis. And I find it really interesting that he says probably not a political crisis. He means a political crisis for Xi, of course. And the probably there serves to mean, well, it's not a crisis now. But it could become one if he doesn't do all the right things. And the right things, of course, are the things that the global communist one world order demands. I think it's pretty indisputable that that is how world leaders gain credit on the world stage in this environment. The media props up the things they do. The media can tell us that she is the greatest guy that has ever led a country forever. And a lot of people in America will believe him. Right now, Vladimir Putin is basically Adolf Hitler while he's fighting actual Ukrainian Nazis. And the comedic actor is one of the world's greatest military leaders and heroes. That's what we're being told right now by our media, these same people about Ukraine. Okay, so we cannot believe their assessments of other world leaders at all. So how do we figure out who is on our side and who is not? Well, my suggestion is figure out who the evil twin is trying to destroy and whether or not those people are serving the people of their country, the interests of their nation and the preservation of their nation's sovereignty. This is a fairly extensive article that I do not want to go all the way through, and so I will not. You're obviously welcome to read it. It's in the info stream. I posted it a few times yesterday because I was 
going through it and commenting on quite a bit of it. But I do want to share a couple things. Now, first of all, he spent most of the article assuming that some version of these lockdown and vaccination and masking policies could actually work. The entire coronavirus narrative is accepted by Ferguson hook, line and sinker, including that Paxlovid, Pfizer's new covid drug, could maybe help the situation in China. He's not just shilling for Pfizer and selling the pharmaceutical company narrative a way. Of course, that is exactly what he's doing. But he's really what he really cares about doing is fixing China's severe covid problem. But beyond all that, this passage really caught my eye. He says, what of the political consequences? You might think that the crumbling of the zero COVID policy and the deteriorating economic situation would pose a threat to Xi. But I think you would be wrong. First, most Chinese don't blame Xi or the central government, but local officials in Shanghai for botching COVID policy by failing to impose a lockdown as soon as the cases emerged. It remains a common proverb. The mountains are high and the emperor is far away. So now you got that common proverb. You're very smart. But let's go back to his statement just before that. Right. Most Chinese don't blame Xi or the central government, but local officials in Shanghai for botching covid policy by failing to impose a lockdown as soon as cases emerged. Now, think back to 2020 and maybe even some of 2021 in America. What were we told about Donald Trump's role in covid, right? He was responsible for the entire thing. He allowed it to get into America. He allowed it to spread in America. He didn't take it seriously enough, according to the science and the experts, so all of the deaths, all of the COVID deaths were on Donald Trump's hands. He was singularly responsible for each and every one. And then the fake president went into fake office and there were far more COVID deaths than ever occurred under Donald Trump. And Donald Trump was still responsible, even though Donald Trump created the process that delivered the very safe and very effective vaccine. None of it matters. Everything is Trump's fault. But most of us, and certainly most of the country now, does not blame Donald Trump for that. So in that, he is very much as Neil Ferguson describes Xi Jinping. Now, once the news began to realize that the American people were not blaming Donald Trump for all of this, what did they do? They began blaming red state governors for not locking their citizens down harder, not not imposing greater mask requirements and not mandating vaccines. In terms of the way the news is telling us this story, these are near mirror images. And in each case, the elitist point of view here represented by Neil Ferguson says that COVID is extremely dangerous. These policies work. People will be mad if these policies aren't implemented harder. But he's also saying that these policies don't work. And so what he ultimately seems to be doing is trying to figure out ways to put the blame where he wants to put the blame. No matter what 
kinds of logical and intellectual hoops they had to jump through. They were more than willing to jump through them to blame everything on Trump. It seems to me that this narrative is being reshaped and twisted in order to place this blame on Xi Jinping in particular. And I believe that they're doing this in preparation for reusing the same playbook they have just used with Russia and Ukraine in respect to China and Taiwan, which we know is coming up. Now, the Russia-Ukraine media playbook has largely failed. I'm not sure it has been successful at all. It worked for a couple of weeks on literally the dumbest people in our entire society. They all changed their little Instagram avatars to Ukraine flag filters, and they all hashtag that they stand with Ukraine. They all called the bio labs a conspiracy theory. They said that Vladimir Putin was Hitler and there were no Ukrainian Nazis. But all of those stories have fallen apart, including the stories about how brave the comedic actor is. The guy's a clown. And it's impossible to be anything other than a clown. He's not even representing his own truth, much less the truth of the situation. He's reading lines. He's saying the things he was told to say. His job has not changed. He didn't somehow become some great military leader, some master of geopolitics, because he finished out his great show where he pretended to be a real president, and then he just went out and got elected. We don't have to lower ourselves to the thought processes of the child brains out there. Oh, he's sort of good looking, I guess, right? He's cute. Oh, everybody, everybody wants Vladimir Zelensky as their new boyfriend for the summer. It's pathetic. He seems really nice and really caring. He's giving weapons to his citizens so they can defend themselves. Clown show. Stop believing this garbage. None of it is true. None of it. You have to be able to see that by now. So the people who create these media narratives, the high, the higher ups, the high order of the global communist command, they're thinking to themselves, realistically, man, that Russia, Ukraine narrative didn't work quite as well as we thought it would. How can we make it so that the China, Taiwan narrative works much better. Well, the way to do that is to get everyone in the West to think China is even more evil than Russia. Now, I have said on this show countless times that the CCP is evil. Every communist party is evil because communism is evil. That also means socialism is evil. Any collective ideology is evil. At the base of a collectivist ideology is a division of people to gain power. That is evil. We don't need to argue about how they think the economy might work if we just use a little bit. And naturally, Ferguson comes to the ultimate conclusion that she will remain unharmed by this spectacular failure on the world stage because he is supported by a cult of personality. And again, I would say, think about how they have always framed Trump. 
We are being given the same narratives over and over again in different parts of the world. They only have a limited number of tactics they can ever use because we are now in a state of permanent, pervasive propaganda from the legacy media and from legacy social media. We will not get anything that does not fit the propaganda narratives. Even when it is controlled opposition, by the way, it is still part of the effective overall larger propaganda narrative. They acted that way about Trump. They have acted that way about Bolsonaro. They act that way about Orban. They acted that way about Putin. And now they will act that way about Xi, if I'm right. If I am reading this correctly, they are running the exact same playbook in preparation for the China-Taiwan playbook, which will be exactly the same as the Russia-Ukraine playbook. This is what I will be keeping my eyes out for. You can agree with me or disagree with me. But if you begin to see this in the world, if my theory sounds crazy and you begin to see this in the world, then consider... That maybe the way we are viewing China as this one monolith where Xi Jinping is at the top of the Communist Party and that everything else falls under that, that idea may be mistaken. And I don't mean to circle back, but I want to mention one more thing about the Shanghai lockdowns. And there's an interesting picture where you can see this as an example in the Zero Hedge article. You can look down and you see these Chinese men in these white suits, right? With the hoods over them. These are supposed to be the hazmat suits. This is what they're all wearing so that they can carry the sick people away from their homes. These look like really thin, either plastic or cloth suits. They're not sealed in any way at all. They look like the sort of thing you might wear if you were a painter besides the hood, at least, you know, just to protect your clothes, their shoes are out. They're wearing the blue cloth face masks, which we know do absolutely nothing. The CDC even says they do absolutely nothing. That's why you're supposed to wear the N95 mask instead. So we have these people that are pretending to be in hazmat suits in the most dangerous COVID situation of all time, and they're not wearing actual hazmat suits, and their masks are just the little blue, they, I mean, people refer to them as surgical masks, but just the little blue cloth masks that you can buy in 7-Eleven. This is not some high-tech anti-COVID operation. It's a spectacle for digital media. And before moving on completely from COVID ridiculousness, this just came out. This is brand new news. A federal judge has ruled the fake administration and the CDC's mask mandate for public transportation unlawful. Here is what the judge wrote in the ruling. As travelers have been reminded for more than a year, Federal law requires wearing a mask in airports, train stations, and other transportation hubs, as well as on airplanes, buses, trains, and most other public conveyances in the United States. Failure to comply may result in civil and criminal penalties, including removal from the conveyance. 
This masking requirement, commonly known as the mask mandate, is a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention regulation published in the Federal Register on February 3rd, 2021. In July 2021, Sarah Pope Anna Daza and Health Freedom Defense Fund sued various government officials and the CDC seeking a declaratory judgment that the mask mandate was unlawful and to have it set aside for violating the Administrative Procedure Act. Following submission of the administrative record, defendants, collectively referred to as the government, moved for summary judgment on January 18th, 2022. As provided in the party's agreed briefing schedule, Plaintiffs filed a cross motion for summary judgment on February 17th, 2022. The parties completed briefing on March 31st, 2022. The cross motions for summary judgment are now ripe for review. The court concludes that the mask mandate exceeds the CDC's statutory authority and violates the procedures required for agency rulemaking under the APA. Accordingly, the court vacates the mandate and remands it to the CDC. So this is excellent news for appreciators of reality and freedom and actual evidence based science and medicine, not the science. But as with everything else, you can imagine they will still continue to fight and try to get their policies implemented in one illegal, unconstitutional way or another. And that is one of the worst parts of all of this and one of the most annoying parts. They will put laws and rules into place knowing they are not constitutional and will eventually be taken down by the courts, but they will have the benefit of the rule being in place until such time. So we've now endured almost two years of varying degrees of mask mandates. The entire time those mask mandates were unlawful. It's very similar to what they do with election laws. They'll make up a bunch of new election laws and election rules in the lead up to the election. A court battle will immediately ensue, but it'll take too long to resolve the issue before the election, we are told. And then we have an entirely fraudulent election like the one we had in 2020. They get the benefit. The law gets overturned later. And then they say, hey, well, you know. We were just doing our best. We were trying to do what we thought is best. Was it legal? No, but it was necessary. Better safe than sorry. You should thank us for doing the best thing we could possibly do, even though it was unconstitutional. And then, of course, what they will tell to the child brains and those people who are just enamored with COVID. They just absolutely love it. Like COVID fans, they are big fans of COVID. And that's how they should be referred to, by the way. They just love COVID because COVID allows them to control and demean other people while pretending to be the good guy. But all those people, they will be told this is why the Constitution is such a problem to begin with. The Constitution makes it too difficult for us to do the things that would keep all of you safe. So the Constitution is actually what's harming you. Now, speaking of the legal system. This article came out in Reuters on Thursday of last week. The headline is California Bar bungled attorney misconduct cases, new audit fines. 
The state bar of California's attorney regulators too often resolve allegations of lawyer misconduct behind closed doors and do not consistently address conflicts of interest with the lawyers who come under investigation, according to a new report from the state's auditor. And we are seeing these issues rise up in the Durham proceedings right now as the interconnectivity of the high powered Washington, D.C. law firms makes prosecuting these cases difficult because of all the conflicts of the defense side's attorneys, many of whom are at firms that are implicated in the Durham proceedings. We found that the state bar prematurely closed some cases that warranted further investigation and potential discipline, said the report, released Thursday by acting California State Auditor Michael Tilden. The report called on California lawmakers and the state bar to beef up monitoring and policies surrounding attorney discipline. It's the latest in a string of audits and reports that have raised red flags over lawyer oversight in the state, highlighting large backlogs in discipline cases and other problems. The state bar reorganized its attorney discipline system in 2016 following a scathing state auditor report that concluded it had failed to protect the public from lawyer misconduct. But the state auditor's 2021 report found that the reorganization had exacerbated the backlog of discipline cases. Isn't that incredible? California said they were fixing a problem and actually implemented a policy that made the problem much worse. Shocking. Lawmakers ordered the latest audit amid concerns over the bar's handling of complaints against prominent plaintiff's lawyer, Thomas Girardi. Girardi, who is now under investigation by the state bar, is accused by a rival law firm of using settlement funds meant for the families of victims of the 2018 Lion Air crash to fund a lavish lifestyle. State Bar Board of Trustees Chairman Ruben Duran said in a response to Thursday's report that some of its findings were, quote, profoundly eye opening and troubling. The report found that between 2010 and 2021, more than 64% of attorney discipline cases were closed during intake. Just 7% advanced to the hearing and discipline phase, and 5% of all cases resulted in formal discipline. Many cases were closed through non-public measures, such as warning letters sent to the lawyer in question. The report's recommendations for the state bar include adopting new criteria for closing cases confidentially, improving efforts to identify patterns of misconduct, and publicizing when California licensed lawyers have been disciplined elsewhere. The bar said Thursday that it concurred with most of the recommendations, except it said performing randomized reviews of smaller client trust and bank accounts, closures, would consume too much time and resources. So I bring this up just to highlight another element of the lawfare game that seems like it is absolutely as open to abuse as the rest of the lawfare game. We have seen repeatedly over the last couple of years that attorneys have been pursued for their law licenses and for sanctions simply to end the cases or to make trying cases that the lawyers are pursuing that much harder. We've seen people like Lynn Wood attacked. They've tried to take his license to practice law away despite an incredible career as an attorney. We saw them go after people like Matthew DiPerno. And beneath more of those headline instances, 
they will try to impose sanctions on attorneys to get cases dropped. And they will try to impose those sanctions at such a high financial level that the attorneys and the clients they're representing don't have the resources to continue fighting their cases. And because they make it so difficult and so cost prohibitive to actually take on the big law firms who are representing the big transnational corporations, the tech companies, all the World Economic Forum partners, we end up with a more unbalanced system that is less able to apply the law equally to all parties, particularly the parties with the most power behind them. And it seems we're going to be seeing another element of this picture pretty soon because there are people who are looking into the financial disclosures of judges all around the country now and figuring out that they have all sorts of small investments in Vanguard funds and BlackRock funds and all sorts of other companies. And it quickly becomes clear that there are just a slew of undisclosed conflicts of interest between the attorneys representing these cases and the judges trying them. And so I was going to go into some Elon Twitter stuff, but the first section went a little long. So I'm going to leave it for today. We'll get back into more of that this week for sure. Keep this lawfare stuff in mind, though. There are abuses going on at levels we are just becoming aware of at this point. But eventually, this will be just another layer of the onion that must be peeled away. And before I go, I just want to encourage everyone to visit I'mYourModerator.Substack.com and read the Who Is At Q series. I put a ton of work into it. I think it's really good. I think it might even be important. And I would love to get all of your feedback. I would love if you would check it out and I would love for you to share it. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!